Hey fans, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Around the Rim Presents I'm Speaking. Please keep in mind that this show is a free-flowing conversation and some language may be considered sensitive. Discretion is advised. That's the name of our new conversation brought to you by ESPNW's Around the Rim podcast, where we talk to dope Black women. Our first guest, boy, they are amazing. Natasha Cloud of the WNBA's Washington Mystics and Bozema St. John, Chief Marketing Officer of Netflix. Today on I'm Speaking, we feature a business mogul in Bozema St. John and a WNBA champion of the Washington Mystics, Natasha Cloud. Both are Black women who are using their platforms to advocate for racial equality. Our hope is to look back over the last year from Beyonce Taylor's death to the WNBA helping to flip the Senate to electing our first Black woman as vice president and reflect on what we experienced, what we learned, and what effective change will look like in the future. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. All right, so I want to start with a little bit of an icebreaker around the title of this particular conversation, which is, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. When I say those words, what comes to mind for each of you? Bozema, want to start us off? Shut up. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know, that honestly, that's what comes to mind because I feel like um, when you have to say that or when you have to think that, it's usually because somebody's talking over you or not listening. And so the fastest way to get to somebody is to tell them to just shut it up. And sometimes that's appropriate. You know, I'm a kind person. I don't usually like to uh, be so um, direct. (laughs) No, that's a lie. I am direct. (laughs) let let me be honest exactly I'm a very direct person but I like to do my direct I like to be direct with kindness uh but sometimes you know if somebody is being disrespectful in not allowing you to speak then they just need to be served the same in order for them to listen to what you're saying and that word disrespectful when I'm speaking automatically makes me think of black women because (laughs) when we're speaking sometimes the volume's off sometimes it's down um, what we have to say just does not seem as important in different instances in different spaces. And we'll get into that. But uh, Natasha, what does I'm speaking bring to mind for you? Uh, you just said it exactly. Um, I can remember I was in the airport watching uh, the debates, the vice president uh, debates and our girl, I'm speaking. And in the most polite, but yet petty way, I'm speaking. And I think far too often as black women were told, uh, to be quiet or to shut up. And um, so that's our way of letting y'all know we're here and you're going to listen to what we have to say. And if you don't, I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. It's just the relentlessness of, of Black women. And when you said that, you gave me a neck snap. So that all automatically- saw So there's, there's different levels to I'm speaking. There's I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, but then there's the... <laughs> where you have to turn and actually give, give a little... She bit. hit him with it. She was yeah. like... <laughs> I'm speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the smile, it was the smile for me. Yeah. She got me. Politely. That does make it a little different. But 
Black women have been through a lot over the last year. The trauma of police violence, the expectations that we have to show up as the ed educators and the experts on racism, uh, the public humiliation by our former administration. And last but not least, after all of that, still remaining unseen, unappreciated and unheard in society. How were each of you affected by what happened over the last year, both personally and professionally, as we approach the one year anniversary of Breonna Taylor's death? Uh, Tosh, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, man, uh, I mean, even still today, I still feel all the same emotions, the same feelings, the same trauma uh, that I felt at that at that very moment. Um, justice still hasn't been brought to her, her family. Um, that's what I consistently think of. And so this is why we're continuing to fight this fight is so that no other family has to live through what she, what her family had to live through. But uh, man, it was, it was really tough as a black woman in America. This summer was beyond tough. Um, the fact of George Floyd, we can walk out our doors and our lives can be a, a, at an all time threat. And then we can be here. I can be on a panel in the safety of my home and my life is still at a threat. Um, it affected me greatly in my everyday life and it was hard, it was heavy. Um, it still is very heavy. And then obviously with my career, it's, it's what led me to sitting out. Uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery say their names. Uh, these are the names that made me feel in my heart of hearts that I needed to be better for my community, uh, that I needed to be a voice for the voiceless. And, uh, at this moment in our country, the climate's never been like this. And so that was an extra stress on me to, okay, this is bigger than the game of basketball. Um, I need to use my God-given platform to be better and be a voice for my community. And when you say, you know, it was heavy and it was a lot, how did you cope? Because we don't often enough talk about coping strategies. And I know there was one time where I looked up and you were everywhere. You were writing articles, you were on panels, you were, I mean, in addition to opting out of, of the WNBA season, which people may look at that and say whatever they want to say, but basketball is your livelihood. That is where you get your passion. That is where your, your joy is. So how did you cope during what you've experienced over the last year? It was hard. It was uh, just being honest. Something that isn't talked about in the black culture is mental health and and how this trauma that goes on in our country affects us. And so having basketball taken away from me and I, obviously I opted out uh, voluntarily, but also we were in a pandemic. Uh, so we were confined to our homes. And so I was I, I tell people me sitting out. I've never been more exhausted in my life because it not only takes an emotional toll on you, but it's also a toll to have to explain to people why you're fighting this fight. It's, it's, it's a toll to explain black trauma uh, to unopened ears. Uh, and, and so I was working from like nine to five every night. And there just became a point where even my wife was like, you got to turn your phone off. You got to turn your phone off, whatever it may be. If you got to watch Netflix, if you got to go upstairs, take a long shower, take a bath, you need to find something that can bring peace to you at, at the end of the day, because you're constantly on go. You're constantly reliving these, these traumas. You're constantly being vulnerable. You, you need to be able to offset that in self-care. And so um, for me, it was honestly just sitting with our dog, sitting with my wife, uh, spending time with my parents, just 
detaching from the world um, at, at its craziest points. Um, but it was important to my mental health and being able to do what I wanted to do within the community and in this fight for social reform. Well, thank goodness for those that care enough about us to tell us to stay, take a step back because I've been exhausted over the last year as well. Bozema, yeah. how were you affected personally and professionally by what happened over the last year since Breonna Taylor's death? Um, well, I think for me, um, well, obviously it's it's been a, a long time, right? I mean, we didn't become black last year. Uh, it's been it's been some time. I mean, I think for me as an adult, um, being aware during like the Rodney King verdicts and uh, the riots at that time. Uh, and being very active at that time. I know I look young and spry, but you know, I, I've been around. Okay. Black don't crack. I've been in these streets for some time. Um, mm -hmm. And so the trauma of it is just the repetition. You know, the repetition of trauma is what I feel has been most detrimental, that it can very easily feel like, well, we've been here before. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen these acquittals before. Like I've seen this trauma before and it can feel very defeating. The difference now from what happened in the early 90s uh, is that now I have an 11 year old daughter, a black girl who's also being traumatized mm -hmm. in these events and in this society. And it's a it takes on a different kind of um, feeling for me you know, a different level of responsibility because I'm no longer just responsible for my own trauma, I'm responsible for hers. And when, before Breonna Taylor's death made news, when Atatiana Jefferson was killed in her home, uh, I remember having that discussion with my daughter. You know, we live in LA, we live in a nice home. Uh, I've got a security system. I've got all the things, because it's her and I, and I want to protect us. Um, but she would still wake up, you know, would be afraid to go to sleep, feeling like, could somebody walk into our home at any moment? Uh, people who are supposed to protect us. I remember one night in particular when my alarm system was tripped for apparently no reason, couldn't find a reason, but you know, the cops showed up um, and I could see her struggle between, you know, being afraid, right? Because the alarm was going off, it was very loud in the middle of the night uh, and being afraid of seeing the police outside. And feeling like, can, can she trust them? Like, she was like, should we open the door? Like, you know, if you're a kid, like, shouldn't you be fully trusting of those who are coming to your quote unquote rescue? Uh, and so for me, like I said, the, the trauma is not even just to me, it's to my child and to her future. And so at the same time that I feel somewhat defeated because I haven't seen a lot of movement, I can honestly say that obviously sitting in business is also a different perspective uh, and that I have never seen the kind of reaction in the corporate space as I've seen this past summer. Now, I'm not saying that that's like some sort of golden mantle or some sort of happy rainbow and we should all skip around and be excited about it, uh, but it is a significant move. You know, it's not as if, like I said, it's not as if this started happening last year. We've, we've been having these problems. But no one in the corporate space has stepped into this discussion as much as I saw it last year. I will not lie to you and pretend like I wasn't shocked out of my mind. I mean, shocked, because I have been walking these corporate spaces and fighting these battles for 20 plus years. 
and have never been in the kind of discussions that I was in last year. You know, the kind of open-ended, what shall we do? And even though that, what shall we do, got on my last goddamn nerve, but still, I have never even been asked that question before. So while managing my own trauma, managing my daughter's trauma, being annoyed at being asked the question, I still felt somewhat hopeful in that there is some kind of movement that is happening. And you know what? Listen, I wish it was a mile that we had moved, but I will take a few inches. For my daughter, I will take a few inches because that's less than she has to deal with then. You know, the point you bring up about your daughter is is really sad. And it's one that I tried to make to a white colleague of mine where I had to literally say to her, I don't feel safer when the police are around. I feel less safe. And and it's almost like they go into shock when they hear me say that. But they're like, oh, but it's the police. They're here to help. Help who? <laughs> exactly. You know? I mean, who? I remember growing up as a kid and as soon as we saw a police car, we were like trying to get as far away from it as we could because they could just decide that something is happening or we need to find out why these kids are just gathered doing nothing at the corner. Like it was, right. it, it really robbed us of ever feeling like there was someone who could keep us safe. Um, but I want to go back to the point that you make about the conversations that have been had over the last year. You both have just spoken up on various platforms. Um, you've been a part of different initiatives. Share the mic. I know it was something that you did, uh, Bozema. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about your article all the time. Your silence is a knee on my neck, Tosh, which was a game changer. Um, but what have you seen or been a part of or conversations that have happened over the last year that you think are important in moving us forward, but also those that our allies can learn from and as far as how they can be better allies in the future. Bozema, you want to start us off? Sure. I mean, as I, as I just indicated, you know, I've never seen these type of conversations in the corporate spaces before. You know, I mean, most Fortune 500s have a foundation of some sort where there are sort of donations to all of the organizations that you would think there are, right? Uh, partnerships with NAACP or with any, any organization, uh, quite frankly. But I have never seen active discussion in the hallways. You know, there have been obviously chief diversity officers installed in different companies. I would say primarily in the last like decade that has moved a lot. But in the last like three years, it has increased even more so over the last year. I don't know how many appointments I've seen, <laughs> you know, of that role. Um, and so, again, I think that there are real moves that are being made because people are being held accountable. I also think it's our collective society, you know, that is holding companies and corporations accountable. Right, because it's not just about government. It's not just about policies that are written in law. You know, we're talking about foundations and organizations and companies who have a lot of power. You know, and so if we're able to uh, dissuade and change those behaviors in those hallways, we'll actually also see some additional impact. Now, I'm not saying take the pressure off of our politicians. For sure, I'm not saying that. But we should also put some pressure in our corporate spaces because the issue of diversity and inclusion doesn't just end at the police. You know, it's not just a police issue. It is all over our businesses. And so I continuously have to push in these spaces about those discussions and those conversations, having those uncomfortable moments, 
You know, when you're like, okay, that check is nice, but it's not enough. What is the discussion we're having about the way that we not only treat our employees or have diverse uh, workrooms or boardrooms, but also in the products that we create and use out in the world, you know, and the communications that we have, because we all know that, you know, the cultural influences are as much of a issue and challenge as any policy or any policeman in the world, or at least in the country. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I think something that I know I hear spoke of often is the difference between diversity and inclusion. It's like, yes, you could appoint someone who's in charge of diversity and you can get all of these black and brown faces in the room, in the company, but are you utilizing them? Are you paying them equally? Um, are you allowing them to make hiring decisions and be a part of the creative space or you know the the marketing of, of your organization that to me is where I think diversity has to be taken to the next level. Tosh, mm -hmm. what are some things that you've seen happen over the last year um, that either worked or didn't work in terms of what allies should be considering to help move the needle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, touching on that point again, uh, during this summer, I was just really trying to navigate this new world of activism and. Uh, the biggest surprise to me was big brands and companies reaching out to me like, Tosh, we're behind the eight ball on this. We, we don't really know where to go. Can you help us? And that put a lot of pressure on me. Uh, again, we talk about Black women having to be the, the saving graces in a lot of senses. So um, while it put a lot of pressure on me, I was happy to be in that space because that's unheard of. You know, it's unheard of for companies to be reaching and we're talking about big brands and big businesses reaching out to me about, okay, what do we do moving forward? Because what we've been doing isn't working and we want to take a strong stance. We're just not sure about how to get there. <clears throat> and to me, that is the biggest part of being an ally is asking questions because as being an ally, you don't know what it means to be black or brown in America. And so you can't write our stories. You can't navigate through this space without allowing us to be the driver in the seat. And so that's, that's the main thing. Um, and then on a smaller scale, uh, just in my family, just in you know, the spaces that are around me, having those hard dialogues with people that need to be had, even if it's uncomfortable, we need to have these hard dialogues and conversations because in a lot of cases, America's true history is not taught. So unless you live it, you don't know it. You don't understand it. You can't even begin to grasp it. Um, and so that, that's been the hardest thing is, as a Black woman, I feel that I, have, I shouldn't have to teach and educate and relive my trauma um, to bring allyship. But I also understand that uh, there's a lot of platforms in this country that have done a disservice in teaching America's true history and how we have gotten and are still in this point in 2021. Um, and so, you know, you, for me, I kind of have to take my pride down a little bit to be that educator in a lot of senses, but um, have those hard dialogues, even if you don't want to, even if you feel uncomfortable as an ally, that is part of being an ally is understanding and listening. Like, shut your ass up and just listen, because <laughs> I got a lot to tell you. But uh, yeah, those have been the two biggest things, the big corporation companies, and then also just the people that are around me trying to bring them in and make them understand. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, one of those kind of div divisive conversations was around the flag, right? Like, mm -hmm. 
you know, the people that you're connected with, even sometimes in your family that are like, okay, the American flag, what's, what's so wrong with that? And, and you're just like, I'm not asking you to say that something's wrong with it. I'm, ex I'm asking you to accept that everyone has had a different experience around yeah. what the American flag symbolizes, what it means to them mm -hmm. and um, how they want it to be a part of their lives moving forward. Um, and it's so crazy to think about, you know, some of the people that were, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is against America and against the flag and all these things. And then the Capitol happens and we're like, okay, so who's disrespecting the American mm -hmm. flag now, right? Like mm. a, a total shift in conversation and perspective, which on this side of, of things was more acceptable than mm -hmm. what Black Americans were previously trying to communicate. So while we're talking about government, I want to fast forward to um, the vice presidential election, Kamala Harris, uh, the Georgia Senate race where Stacey Abrams, a black woman and a majority black league in the WNBA was a major part in a historical race right here in Georgia where I am uh, that will change the, the future of our country in the Senate. Um, how do you think this those movements change the way the world sees or imagines the ability of black women and their power? Tosh, I'll start with you. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think that this summer, especially with what we were able to do from the W, whether it was the wobble or the players that sat out as a collective, it shows just how powerful our voice is and we truly are and our platforms truly are to this country because it's it's no secret uh, with Stacey leading it, I mean, and the W following right behind, we changed the trajectory of our country. And in a lot of ways, black women saved this country whether it was, you know, just the, you know, the lead up to the election or the actual election itself and the statistics of, of who voted for who, Black women saved this country. And so uh, the work that was put in this summer by Stacey and by the W, I'm just so extremely proud to be one of 144 because we truly had impact on how this election, uh, the results of this election, and then also our Senate. I mean, that is, that is completely, when you're talking about implementing real change, that is real change. That is change that was necessary with moving forward. And when you're talking about progressing us forward in this fight for social reform, it's, it's in, these, in these institutions that we need to do it in. And so I think with realizing the power and taking our power back, taking the power back of our voices, taking the power back of our votes, uh, it really truly showed our community uh, black and brown community, how powerful we truly are when we come together collectively and we use our platforms, we combine them. Uh, there's power in numbers. And, and that was the beautiful thing about this summer. Bozema, how about you in, in looking at what happened with, with black women and how they impacted, um, I mean, the, the political race in general, but in particular um, in Georgia, which really changes the next four years of our administration. Yeah, I mean, I think that Taj already said it, you know, which is that Black women saved the USA. Um, but here's where, where the point I want to make about that, which is that um, I think for far too long, Black women have been doing it. It's not as if we started doing it during this election. You know, we've been doing that for a long time, saving the country, raising its children, building its businesses uh, without much credit, right? Um, I want us as Black women to stop doing it in silence. We do it far too often where we will carry something on our backs for our families, for our friends, 
for our partners, for our work and our businesses, and we will do it in silence. It's almost as if we have been told that like, hey, carry this thing, but don't tell anybody that you did it. Be humble about it. You know, put your head down. Maybe somebody will recognize that you did it. Now, I'm, I'm tired of that. That's what I'm tired of. I'm like, we need to stand up and point at something and say, I did that. That was because I did it. My effort made that happen. I wanted to take more credit for it. And you know what? People will say that like, we should be quiet. They'll say that. <laughs> They'll ask why we're so arrogant about it. Well, I mean, look at us. We are so dope. Come on. Like, why are we so quiet about it? You know, and every time that uh, we had a breakthrough because of black women, I mean, in, in my you know platforms and places I am, I absolutely made noise about it. But I want us to do that. I want us to celebrate. I want us to celebrate each other. I want us to celebrate ourselves when we do it. You won't for one second see me quiet about the businesses I've changed. I know exactly what I've done and I have not been quiet about it at all. When people say that like, oh, well, I'm, I'm arrogant or, you know, it's all about me. Goddamn right it is, because I did it. And so I wanna make sure that we understand our power in that too. You know, this is not a result of us just being quietly humble about our accomplishments or about our power, or it's just like, let's just, you know, snap each other quietly and silently, or just give each other the look, just a, a silent like pound or, or bump. No, I'm saying it loud. We're gonna stand on the rooftops. We're gonna yell it. We're gonna give credit when it's due. And so that's what I want us to commit to that we're gonna be loud about that, that we're not going to take it quietly or just move on to the next thing once we've saved that other thing and hope that somebody gives us some credit or hope that somebody sees it. Now, nah, I'm done with that. We're gonna yell and say we did it. Bozema, and that's something that I know not just me, but a lot of people love about you is that you will scream it on the mountaintops. And guess what that does though? That allows people to really see the accomplishments of this amazing black woman and what you are capable of, how hard you work, how talented you are. So maybe they'll think, think twice when they move that black woman's resume, named Latina or Latasha, mm -hmm. um, or Natasha or Bozema over to the side. Mm -hmm. You know, they will think about what you've accomplished and what you've done. And I want to stick here for a moment because you have been one of the most sought after business moguls in all of business and marketing. And yes, you heard Yes. Yeah, you that hair. <laughs> but tell us, you know, your secrets. I mean, we're going to have <laughs> so many Black women listening to this saying, I know that's one of your secrets, definitely your the pride and confidence that you have in your work. But how have you navigated the business world when most of the people in the room don't look like you. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, well, it goes off of the back of what, what I just said about celebration, you know, um, and also the gassing of my, of my friends, like Natasha here, girl was came out of her chair, you know, <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Listen, uh, no one gasses you like a black woman gasses you. Okay. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I wanted us to step into. You know, we do it so well. It's like an art form. And I just want mm -hmm. us to continue to take it to a next level, you know, so we do it for ourselves too. And so, yes, nobody was talking about me until I started talking about me. Let me just say it one more time. Nobody <laughs> talked about me until I talked about me. And so when I had been advised 
to take my successes and just hope and wait for the next promotion. It was shattered when in specifically, I'll tell you exactly when, when my eyes were open, 2003 or 2013, excuse me. I had uh, successfully negotiated the Super Bowl halftime show deal with Pepsi because uh, I was there at the time, um, negotiated for Beyonce's uh, performance. She had won an Emmy and I had done all of the things that I thought were necessary to be promoted in my job. And I was told that I hadn't hit enough home runs exact words i recognize in that moment that, okay and and oh by the way yeah other people were taking credit for it because you know success has many authors right and so i recognize in that moment that i needed to start celebrating my own successes otherwise they would go unheard i would be just another silent person in history you know nobody would ever know my name and I committed to myself that day that no one would ever forget it. And so for me, it has been absolutely important and necessary to tout my successes. And again, I will say this very loud and clear. It's not as if everybody loves it. <laughs> Believe me, like when you start talking about yourself, there'll be a lot of haters. You know, folks will tell you, just be quiet. Haven't you said it enough? Oh, we already heard that. We already know that. Well, guess what? When I started to yell about myself, then all of a sudden, all these other people started to say, oh, but did you know that Bo's X, Y, and Z thing? Did you know she did da, 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 da? So now when I walk into a room, people know exactly what I did because you know what? I told them because nobody else was doing it. And so the secret is not just in being successful. We know how to do that. We know how to do good work. So this is not advice about getting the work done. We do that better than anybody, okay? <laughs> Give a problem to a black woman, Period. she'll come back with the solution. Absolutely. We've done it for centuries. Had to solve all kinds of issues with very little resources. Ask any mama out there who had to solve any problem for the children she was raising, fed them, clothed them, made them feel good, put them through education. I mean, look at our community. We have done that. We have done that. We've raised generations and raised other people's generations too. Let's not forget the white people, the black women raised, okay? So for me, the point is at this point to change the, the direction of our conversations so that we center it back on ourselves. So yeah, you know, people will call you selfish. They'll call you arrogant. They'll call you all the names, but I just frankly don't care. Can we get a little stand No one's gonna be able to talk to me today. Don't talk yeah. to me. <laughs> Mailman, don't talk to me. Don't touch me, don't talk to me. Uh, you can't even see me for the rest of this weekend, okay? Listen, exactly. Don't, don't look at me directly in the eye. I'm, I'm too dope, <laughs> too fly out here. Don't look at me directly. Please I might burn you with my brilliance, okay? My burn you. Okay. The brilliance and the yellow looking amazing. Listen, <laughs> tell them, right? Right out here, like the sun. You need some glasses. In fact, yeah. let me hold on. Hold on one second. Let me just get, I might hurt myself right here. Hold on. And oh. put on my sun oh. glasses. So. Oh, you, oh, you got blacks and the nails too. Yes. Okay, tell them, put on the sunglasses. You don't want to get burned with this brilliance. You don't want to get burned. Okay, I'm trying to protect you. 
No, but I, love I, it. I mean, boy, that was amazing. That, that was amazing. But I think it does. It, it touches on, you know, like you said, without the resources, without the opportunities, Black women just continue to succeed, mm. and thrive. And with that, we always have to be 10 times better at what we're doing than our white counterparts, especially if it's a man. Okay. Yeah. So the accomplishments of Black women, uh, like you said, it should be shouted from the rooftops because what we have to endure to get to that point, what we have to go through to get those successes, Lord, I need a drink after most of my (laughs) (laughs) But that's the truth, though. You know, it's like, you just made such an amazing additional point, Natasha, which is that most of the time we have to do so much more work Mm -hmm. to even get to the same level. And so why wouldn't we yell about our accomplishments? Why wouldn't we? You know, because like, you know what it took to get here? Like even today, like I look around, I'm like, wow, okay. Seeing where I am, right? In the position in which I'm in, I'm like, yo, like even if I didn't know it, I would have to be dope in order to make it here. I would have to be. So why Mm -hmm. wouldn't I recognize that for myself? Oh, but I say it and now it's like, you look at me and say, oh, she for herself, she just think, yes, guess what? Because I know I'm 10 times better than everybody else. So give me my flowers, give it to me. Cause I deserve them, I earn them. I earn every single petal on this daggone flower. And yes, Mm -hmm. I will stick it in my hair and celebrate myself. You better. Okay. Every single flower and your bouquet too. Pass your bouquet of flowers over here. Cause I earn yours and mine. And okay, the number of no's, the 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 pay. Come on, the doors shut in our faces, the folding that we've had to bring to the tables. Yes, Mm. yes, and still, like as Maya Angelou said, we rise still. And so, yes, I celebrate you. I celebrate your accomplishments. Listen, don't tell me not one thing you did, boy. I will tell everybody in the world like you are my cousin. I'm like, oh, you know what Natasha did last week? You know what she did? Oh. <laughs> Listen, I will tell her at church. I will get on that altar and just want to just be over here bragging, okay? Because yeah. that's what, and that's what we also need to do for each other. You know, it's one of the tenets I use um, when I talk about what, how to sort of embolden yourself and create your own brand. You know, because it's actually something I learned from uh, somebody I used to work for. I recognized the pattern of him talking about his very close circle of friends again and again and again and again. And when I started to realize the pattern, I was like, oh, there's some sort of agreement going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an agreement that's happened. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to employ that for myself, too. So then right. I got my little group together, my little foursome, fivesome. And I was like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. You know, it's like we got our little group chat. And yes, we do gas each other in the group chat. But also I'm like, when you do something, drop it into the group chat. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to use that in the next conversation I'm in. We are intentional about that. And so you better believe that when I'm in a space, I am going to bring up their accomplishments. And so if we do that for each other, we'll find that we'll even help to build up our own brand. Because guess what happens when I walk into rooms or I walk into spaces and I don't know people in that room? They're like, oh, I heard about you from, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I believe that for us, we do have to be intentional about it. We have to think about how to brag on ourselves and brag on each other in a way that will produce results because we're doing it on purpose. 
Absolutely. Marketing ourselves and marketing our group. I know that I believe Tariq is going to kill me. I think we have one minute left. Go ahead, Tosh. You had a quick thought. Oh, no, I was just go ahead because I was just going to tack off of that. But uh, for real, like I feel like a lot of time, especially us as black women, we're kind of pitted against each other because there's so few and far between opportunities for us Mm. to begin with. But Mm. like like we just said, instead of seeing it as a competition, there's enough success for everyone. Yes. And so if I if I'm in a position of success, you best believe I'm about to bring my wife in too. And then we're progressing the sport of softball. Then we're progressing. You best believe I bought all the black players from the National Women's Soccer League jerseys. Come on. This is about supporting each other. This is about bringing someone, you know, being su- successful and taking a step, but then bringing the rest of us with them. You know yes. what? I mean? Yes. Come I know we're supposed to be done, but I just think that it's like. That's exactly it. It's like we've been lied to. Somebody told us that there was only room for one, and that's not yeah. true. That's a lie. If there's it's enough room for 50 white men in one company, there's enough for 50 black women, and I don't want to yeah. hear it. So yep. it's like we've been lied to. So we, you're absolutely right, Natasha. I underline that point, exclamation marks, all of the things, because you're right. It's like there's not just room for one of us. We need to bring everybody along. Everybody. Bring yep. everyone with us. Well, we're going to wrap up. This has just been amazing. I'm like over here about to... I'm like, whoo, don't let me find my, my yellow. I got that shade of yellow in my closet too. Don't let me find mine after that. Listen, but, I'm about to go to the mall after this. Okay. Literally three minutes. So it's the end of the show, the quick hitters. And what this is, is I've got five things. And in order to answer these five things, you use one word, one phrase, or one sentence. That's all you get, okay? All right. And we'll just go in alphabetical order. So Bozema will start the for her answer and then... Tosh, Natasha, you jump in and um, with yours. All right. So one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Okay. Black women that are listening to this podcast, um, for the black women that are listening to this podcast, how have you personally endured the racism that you have faced in your career that might help someone? Hmm. By celebrating myself. Uh, Knowing my self-worth. If there is someone listening who is not black, but wants to be an ally to black woman, women, what would you tell them? Listen to black women. Being neutral is part of the problem. You're choosing the side of the oppressor. What have you carried with you from 2020 to 2021? Hmm. Uh, introspection. Black joy. What will be left in 2020 and should never, ever, ever be brought back up again or trend again in 2021? Oh, God. I got this. You go, Tasha, because I'm like, uh... Leave his ass in 2020. Donald Trump. 2020. You know what? Plus 10 on a Tasha. Plus 10. I'm leaving Zoom if I can, even though we're on it now. I'm cutting my Zooms down in in half, not even half. I'm only taking a quarter of those with me in 2021. Okay, last question. We want to continue these conversations like the one we're having today to amplify the voices of women of color. Who would you love to see have these conversations if you could pass the mic to someone else after this show? Who would you Ooh. pass the mic to? Yes, I would. I would pass it to Lovey Ajayi Jones. She's an author and her book, The Professional Troublemakers, coming out on March 4th. And she is amazing. 
man, Angie Thomas, I got to do a W live with her and she's just so powerful, so strong, so intelligent and is all about the movement. So Angie Thomas is for me. And The Hate You Give is the book that she wrote, which was turned into a movie. Sis is killing it, okay? Give her the love, give her the love. Well, you guys survived our lightning round and you survived and made our first episode of I'm Speaking so dope. I can't thank you guys enough for all the gems you've shared and stories and just all the joy that you bought me today. Like I'm gonna start speaking about my accomplishments and my magic. So yes, we appreciate everything that you guys have brought to this. Thank you so much. And thank you for your advocacy and good luck in, in all you're doing. I appreciate it. So